Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Four Persons Network. We are Blog Talk Radio's one and only authentic Catholic defenders of the deeper truths of our sacred faith. To learn more about what we do, go to our show page at thefourpersons.com and our blog site at thefourpersons.net. If you would like to call in tonight with your comment or question, the number is 515-602-9655. That number again is 515-602-9655. For follow-up information after the show, email us anytime at email at thefourpersons.com. That's email at thefourpersons.com. Now sit back and enjoy the show. And hello once again and welcome to the Four Persons Podcast, the fastest growing Christian show on Blog Talk Radio. So before I bring on our host tonight, I want to tell you something. Blog Talk Radio uh, each month keeps track of the top 100 shows per category. And in the category of religious Christian podcast, we placed one of our shows in that top 100, which is amazing for a podcast that's only three weeks old. And we placed that show at number 15. So for a show that's only three weeks old, that's insane. And it just happened to be the debut episode of the Luke Haskell Show. So congratulations, Luke. Uh, With your help, we have already passed my former podcast. And I was just very happy to do that. Uh, and welcome, and uh, you're going to give us a little background and then tell us what we're going to be discussing tonight, right? Yes, of course. Well, uh, how you feeling? Uh, a little sore, but uh, hanging in there. Okay. Uh, well, well, thank you very much. And uh, if, if anything happens here, if any, you know... Uh, if there's any conversions, anybody sees, you know, the truth. Of course, it's not our doing. The increase in your 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 output and how many people are watching this is is not our doing. It's uh, I mean, we can't even lift a pinky finger without the grace of God. So I just thank God for it, and I thank God for for uh, you. Uh, uh, giving me this opportunity to uh, to be on your show. Well, tonight it's your show, so why don't you talk about uh, talk about your background and uh, and and then we're going over a very interesting subject. Okay. Well, I'm not a theologian. Uh, I never had any kind of formal training or anything like that. Uh, on the internet, I consider myself uh, a, uh, a connoisseur or, or a student of apologetics. Uh, apologetics, uh, the word goes back to uh, to an understanding in the first century of one who is professing the faith. Uh, we're not apologizing for anything. <laughs> we're professing the, the faith that God gave us. And how this developed is is something that's still of a mystery to me, looking back on things that have happened in my life, because uh, everything has, you know, brought us to this point. And looking back, I see God's involvement just over and over and over again and pushing me along. And when things like this happen, you, you really don't see it happening. But uh, for me, as I got down, uh, as I got farther along in life, uh, certain things that triggered uh, experiences and remembering things from the past that really 
kind of brought me to where I am today. And uh, I wanted to go over this because people hear a voice uh, on the radio, excuse me, <clears throat> and they don't know the background of the person that is talking. And so in order for us to have a deeper connection, and as we move on into different topics, I want to give you a little bit of my experience. So I was baptized as a baby Catholic. My parents were Catholic, raised the family Catholic. My mom had nine kids, and she dedicated those nine kids to the nine choirs of angels. Wow. Mom, mom and dad are now passed on. So we got Michael, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Steve, Judy, Sandy, Sue. <laughs> and uh, we had some pretty amazing experiences when uh, I was young. I lost two brothers. Uh, one at 18, another one at 21. Very sorry. And, and the one who was 18 was a younger brother. And one of the experiences with him is really hard to explain away. Uh, while he was still around four years old, uh, he was in his crib one night. And he came running down the stairs and like one o'clock in the morning, running all over the place. And uh, my mom heard the commotion downstairs and she went downstairs and this little four-year-old, you know, boy running all over the place, wide awake. And uh, she's running around trying to catch up with him. And he's saying, uh, mommy, mommy, I had a good day. I had a good day. And uh, she's still trying to catch up with him and she's laughing and he's laughing and Finally, she catches up with him, and uh, he says, Mommy, Mommy, I had a good day. And uh, he says, I had a good day with Jesus and Mary and Stevie. Jesus died. He went into the water, but he's all right now. He's with Jesus and Mary. So the next morning, we had uh, some naval officers come to the front door. I was in the living room downstairs, and I saw them come to the door. And uh, I saw my mom go downstairs and answer the door. And uh, they said that my brother Steve, my older brother, who was in the Navy at the time, was killed in a car accident and uh, went into the water at uh, Snake River. Hmm. So one thing is, it's, you just can't, you know, explain these things away. Yeah. So... It brought me very early to an understanding of uh, the miraculous in, in, in the world. And, and uh, there's other things such as uh, the same older brother who died when uh, he played football. And he was uh, on the team in Fountain Valley High School in, uh, in Orange County, California. And uh, back in the 70s, uh, there's there's different injuries that occur that you really uh, they didn't have the uh, the capacity to correct back then. One was when he uh, busted his arm and busted at the elbow. His arm was fused into a ninety degree angle uh, after this uh, football injury. <laughs> and we were around some very holy priests, and one of them was Father Aloysius Alacuria. He was a Claritian priest. He was a member of the family. We were around very holy, holy bishops. Uh, Archbishop Thomas Clavel, who was uh, uh, he was the bishop of Panama before the war in Panama, and uh, then he had to move back uh, to uh, the states, and he became the uh, Hispanic bishop for uh, Orange County. And uh, Father Aloysius prayed over my brother's arm. And my uncle, Ken Fisher, watched this happen, where his arm became completely infused and normalized. <laughs> wow. in front of it. And uh, my uncle, Ken Fisher, he, he basically led the pro-life movement in 
California. He started the pro-life march on Alabama Street back when Roe versus Wade first started. And uh, he had a huge influence in things that happened uh, around uh, our family also. There's a time where he brought uh, Lee Dennison into the house. Uh, Lee Dennison wrote the song, The Miracle of the Rosary, and Elvis Presley sang it. Hmm. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a neat song. But uh, we used to have this Thursday night prayer group at the house, and uh, it would be a Padre Pio prayer group. And uh, we would say the rosary, and family members would come over, and cousins would come over, and members of St. Barbara's Church in, uh, in uh, Santa Ana, which we were going to at the time. And one night, uh, uh, my Uncle Ken brought Lee Dennison over. And my mom, my mom had an incredible voice, just, just beautiful. She did USO shows and things like that. And, uh, and uh, so she was singing with Lee Dennison. And uh, he sang the Miracle of the Rosary. Then they sang together the song. Uh, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Mm-hmm. And at that time, at that time, the whole house was filled with uh, the odor of sanctity, the aroma of the roses. And uh, this was on one of my birthdays. I was like 12 years old, and it happened on my birthday, which was pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, and we had this on a cassette tape because Lee Lee was there, and we wanted to catch Lee, you know, singing. And uh, so we got that on the cassette tape, and everybody in the room was going, "Wow, do you do you, do you smell that?" And you know, and and Archbishop Thomas Cavell's there, and he's going, "Praise Jesus!" You know, and and uh, it's it, it was a pretty amazing experience. And uh, but at the same time, this stuff was going on. You had Fountain Valley, and next door to Fountain Valley was Costa Mesa. And that's where you had the uh, Born Again movement with Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel. And so members of my family were were going there because even though we had these experiences, even though, you know, we know when to sit, know when to stand uh, in church, know what the prayers were, uh, we didn't really have a deep under a biblical understanding of Catholicism, even with catechism and things like that. So I ended up with my sister sometime going over to Calvary Chapel and and listening to Chuck Smith. And it begins with the bands and, you know, people are, you know, uh, getting caught up in the emotion of things and, and it's kind of charismatic and, uh, then uh, Chuck comes out, and uh, they they go through some Bible verses, on, and they use faith alone and Scripture alone, and then uh, they start uh, you know, having people come up and have altar calls, and it's a very emotional experience, and uh, uh, you, you, you can't you can't look at what was going on and say uh, to these people it was disingenuous. It was it was very beautiful for them to uh, experience God's love yet I would go to this thing go to this and then I would go to Sunday mass and one is elation one is emotional uh, gratification I guess you can say it's a it's a group think process what's going on and the other one going to mass and beginning with I I confess to Almighty God, all the angels and saints, you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned through my own faults. And it's like this show compared to sackcloth and ashes. And again, I didn't understand it. Yeah, you know, if I can interject real quick, uh, Luke, I I draw the difference between, uh, to me, it's, it's praise versus worship. And and praise is a part of worship, but it's an incomplete part when it's by itself. And that's what you see uh, in, in a lot of Protestant services. You see praise, but you don't see complete worship. There's elements of the worship that are missing. Well, yeah, and they get confused. 
because they think we worship Mary without even understanding the root uh, etymology of the word worship. You know, there's there's the foundation of worship is sacrificial. And uh, this also, you know, looking at the Mass and now understanding that it's the true Passover for the general redemption of the world, our true worship, you know, is is something that I didn't have during this time also. And during this time period of my life, I then went on and, uh, and I went through high school and went out and, uh, you know, I went into the Navy and, and uh, needless to say, I was kind of a, a typical kid and uh, I got stupid sometimes. You know, I had sex. I didn't uh, go to church and I just got caught up in the world. And, uh, but I never said I wasn't Catholic. Uh, I always thought myself as Catholic, not even truly understanding what Catholicism is. And so then after this time in my life, when I got married and settled down and had, uh, uh, I was given a, a gift of a beautiful wife and two beautiful boys. And while I was working at a prison, you know, in just filled environment. I began to think more deeply about my faith. And there was a time when I got to the point where I started praying again. And there was a, and what I'm going to explain now is something that has basically kind of molded everything that happened afterwards. During this time when I started praying again, uh, at night, I was laying down in the living room, and I was laying in the form of a cross on the ground, and I just started praying the rosary. And while I was praying, all of a sudden, it felt like a door opened up to another dimension, and uh, I experienced the odor of sanctity again. But this time, I didn't experience it as I did when I was a kid, where simply, you know, it, it filled the room. But this time it was like it was a door opened up to another dimension and it, and it was so cool and crisp that I wanted to constantly take it in and uh, it, it moved right through me. And uh, it's an odor that's really hard to describe, but uh, uh, I guess people say it smells like roses, but it's not, uh, it's not really roses. It's, I guess it's, it uh, can be compared to a little bit to roses. But uh, at the same time, I felt the presence of uh, our, our, our spiritual mother right next to me. And this six foot one, 240 pound peace officer just started bawling. Man, I just, uh, just thinking about it even now, you know, and the love that I experienced and just feeling her right next to me. And I can't explain it any other way. I, you know, I consider myself to be a pretty rational being, you know, I was judge and jury, you know, in a, in a prison setting as a Lieutenant, but I can never explain this away. And that experience and that love is something that's, you know, so intense that I will spend the rest of my life trying to get back there. And during this time period is when I felt compelled to ask God for wisdom so that I may bring people to his truth. So what you're describing here is what we, what we call a consolation. You, you received a, a tremendous consolation at that point. Um, and when you say it kind of it kind of altered your life, it kind of brought everything into focus. Is that fair to say? You, you kind of now knew what your mission was in life. Well, yeah, and it, it was kind of through being compelled to these things, and I was compelled to ask God for wisdom. 
I was compelled to then get on this track. And, you know, I'm no holy roller. <laughs> I'm, I'm so far away from being a saint. It's ridiculous. But my constant prayer is very short. It's, Lord, forgive me and give me strength. You know, it's, 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 just that, it's just that simple. You know, I constantly fall. I constantly get back up again. And I constantly thank God for this experience. And I know other people have different experiences like this, you know. But, uh, and, and what God does is he takes the individual and he knows with perfect knowledge exactly what that individual needs for grace. And for me, it sounds like I was just so far off the deep end of everything that happened that God basically gave me a kick in the rear end. Yeah, God is uh, like the amazing GPS. He can bring you home from wherever you are. He knows that he can use the particular circumstances in your particular life uh, to bring you home. Uh, before you continue, Luke, let me bring on uh, Lewis. I've got Lewis on, on the line. Let me bring him on and uh, see if he has any any quick comments or questions before we continue. Lewis, you're Pleasure on. To hear, uh... it's, a pleasure to finally, it's a pleasure to finally introduce myself to you more directly, Luke. You are probably the best um, lay apologist in, you know, in our Catholic circle. Well, uh, thank you very much, Lewis. Um, you know, thank you for sharing your journey. Um, I had something very similar, similar with Calvinists where um, I wasn't taking my Catholic faith serious. I was very lukewarm. Um, not to say, well, yes, you can say lukewarm. I wasn't reading the Bible or church history. Or praying my rosary, so um, your your but your story still beats mine. Um. Uh, Lewis, I think again, it's it's what God knows we need, <laughs> and I needed a swift kick. I was that far off, but when I started, you know, asking God for wisdom, it got to the point where. I had to ask God to let me sleep at night. <laughs> you know, I was just so absorbed in scripture and in history and things were just coming together just right and left, just constantly. And I would wake up in the middle of the night and just, aha, oh, wow. Well, that's how that goes together. <laughs> and then it got to the point where I said, could I, could I have a little sleep here? <laughs> so, right. And it, and it, it was an amazing experience. Yeah. Hey, Lewis, just letting you know, before we bring you on again, if you could try to get to a better location, your signal was very, very weak there. So we're going to try to bring Lewis on in a few minutes. So, Luke, now now you're getting into the scriptures, which is, to me, this is what this show is about. And this, to me, is the greatest of all ironies. Because we're constantly told as Catholics that if we just read up our Bible, open up our Bibles, and read the Bible, that uh, you know we would instantly see how wrong we are. We would instantly see that the Catholic faith is not the true faith. I saw just the opposite <laughs> when I opened up the Bible. You know, starting in the Gospels with the Gospel of Matthew. I don't know how you could read the Gospel of Matthew and be a Protestant. To me, it's just uh, I, I can't make any sense out of that. So why don't we use that as a step-off point? Because this show is about the biblical errors that led to Sola Scriptura. So what were those scriptures? Start start to walk us through what were those scriptures that caused Luther to go, kind of go off the deep end and invent this this doctrine, which I consider to be the foundation of Protestantism. Well, it comes to Luther, but I, I think the guy was bipolar. <laughs> I, I mean, he was, if, if you look at some of the things he said, you know, he, uh, he was basically saying that he doesn't really care 
what James says because he doesn't think James should be a book of the Bible. You know? uh, I mean, he, uh, he was so caught up in sin and the detriment of sin that he created his, his, his own construct in order to remove himself from the faith God established. And in this removal from the construct, uh, basically anybody who follows scripture alone becomes their own pope. Uh, they, they mock the idea of an authority where they create their own authority. So I often ask people, you know, uh, who give these verses for their, the, you know, the text uh, uh, phrase verses for scripture alone. And I tell them, okay, I want you to present your verses on scripture alone. Then show me how they don't contradict the hundreds of verses showing the authority of the church in the scripture. And you're kind of in that situation, you're kind of left with people who either go to sophistry and try to just make things up or they attack the messenger, or they simply do not want to address the logical process that is being described. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, they use Timothy, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, where Paul talks about uh, uh scripture you know being perfect and that's all you need and what paul is talk, talking about the scripture he is talking about the old testament to start he is talking to timothy who was the bishop of ephesus and who knew Paul's doctrine, which was the church's doctrine. So when he's saying that all you need is the, well, let me go back to it. Yeah. Uh, because of this, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a little nervous and I'm forgetting things that I normally know. And so I want to go back to this letter from Timothy, if I could find it. All scriptures inspired by God, and uh, it's used, uh, I guess this is part of the process of humility, because I can't even remember this. It's, it's, well, it's, it's, I know the it's passage you're referring to, and, and, and I know what you're getting at, is that Paul is saying all scripture is inspired. And it's all useful. But what Paul doesn't say is that it is sufficient. That's what he doesn't say. And and by sufficient, people need to understand the difference between uh, material sufficiency and practical sufficiency. I, I can say I got $15,000 in the bank. And $15,000 might be enough to buy a new car. But unless I pull the money out of the bank and take it to the car dealership, I don't get the car. So if the material is in the scriptures, unless we extract it, interpret it correctly, and act on it, it's of no use to us. And the interesting thing is Paul also says something else to Timothy. He says, remember what you learned and who you learned it from. So that sounds like Paul is elevating the value of scripture but he's but in the context of the authority of the church remember what you learned and who you learned it from so i'm sorry to anyone that thinks that those verses uh elevate sola scriptura i think they refute sola scriptura yeah right and uh uh thank you for that because uh like I like I said, I'm not a theologian, and there's there's hundreds of verses in my head, and for some reason at the time uh, that one was just not coming up. He would use the God breathed 
Old Testament he knew of since his youth for study and reproofs of the priest and laity under his care as bishops have done uh, in the Catholic Church for 2,000 years. So, and he's, it is not when he's saying he, scripture is sufficient. Well, the church fathers understood that as sufficient, but the church fathers understood that it was sufficient because it taught the authority of the Catholic Church. So, this is just one of uh, of these verses. Another one would be uh, when Paul and Silas were sent to the Bereans, and in the story in Acts, it says the Bereans were more noble, and so therefore they're more they're they're more humble. They were had more humility in order to die to self, die to preconceptions, and take in what Paul and Silas were giving to them. And what we don't see before this is that Paul and Silas were sent by the church, the same church that Paul refers to when he says, how can one preach unless he is sent? The apostles believed they were in the last days where all prophecy was fulfilled. And so when we hear the word gospel, we need to incorporate not just the aspects of, you know, salvation and through, through, you know, through faith, but what was really going on in the Jewish mind of an apostle where they're seeing the gospel before their eyes, they understand that they're in the last days. So when Isaiah talks about going to the mountain of the Lord in order to learn the ways of God, uh, uh, his, his wisdom, these things are being fulfilled in the church. When we hear of the, the kingdom of David needing to be restored, this is in the gospel. This is why the Jews, you know, on Palm Sunday were saying, Hail, Hosanna. Because they saw not a perfect understanding of this, but they saw the reestablished kingdom of David through Christ. So in Acts 15, when the first council of the Catholic Church gets together, what does James say? James sees in that council the prophecy of Amos fulfilled where both Jews and Gentiles are entering the church. And the church is the fulfillment of the reestablished kingdom of David. So when we look at what was going on with the Bereans, if we have this in the background, Paul and Silas are being sent by the reestablished kingdom of David out into the world. And they go to the Bereans. And they teach the Bereans how can one preach unless he is sent? The prophecy of Christ in the Old Testament, because they didn't have a New Testament. And so they're open to his, his wisdom. So this, as many other verses that Protestants, you know, use for sola scriptura, teach the opposite. Because what it's teaching is that through the authority of the church, through those who are Christ sent, the Bereans were opened up to this to this wisdom. And what's fascinating is I began to study this the the history of the Bereans. And uh, uh, I read part of this here. Berea was within the Roman province of Macedonia. Today it's modern Greece. Uh, this is the Catholic diocese of, of Thessalonica. As Christianity spread throughout the world, everywhere it was established went from paganism to Catholicism. And so you have these countries all over the known world during this time. And there is no going from paganism to Protestantism, paganism to Catholicism. And a lot of these Catholics were dying martyrs in, in the conversion process. Fascinating about getting into the details of the Bereans is that uh, there was some documentation called the Apostolic Constitutions, and 
This is supposedly drawn up by the apostles and transmitted to the church by Clement of Rome. And in this, it tells us that the first bishop of Berea was Onesimus, who was formerly a slave of Philemon. Uh, uh, we see this in the epistle of Philemon. And uh, from this time, from the very beginning onward, Berea was always a province of the Catholic Church. Uh, we see after the uh, time of persecution, a bishop named Geronitus took part in the Council of Sardica in 344, Lucas in Ephesus in 449, and all the way to present day. So Berea was started by the apostles of the reestablished kingdom of David, which was the Catholic Church. Right. If you'd like to call in tonight's show to be on with Luke Haskell, the number is 515-602-9655. Again, 515-602-9655. Luke, let me expand on what you said just a minute ago, uh, because it's not like uh, the Bereans sat down and said, okay, you know, we're going to read the scriptures, and uh, if we don't find everything that Paul said in the scriptures, then we don't believe in his authority. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it's basically Paul opened their eyes up to the scriptures, and they were obedient and docile, docile enough to follow his lead to read the scriptures uh, in a new uh, way. And and um, I, I would draw another story in the book of Acts as an expansion on that. When Philip comes upon a eunuch who is reading from Isaiah, uh, reading about the suffering servant, and, uh, and, and, and Philip asked him, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And, and the eunuch's answer was, uh, well, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? So certainly he understood that scripture alone doesn't work. So let me let me real quick let me bring Lewis back on and get his take on this, and then uh, then I want to hear yours. So Lewis, go ahead. Luke is um, extremely correct in everything that he says, and I also want to add things that make it even more obvious that the apostles and Christ taught against the Holy Scriptura. If we look to John 21:25, it says it very clearly. But there were also many other things that Jesus did, which if everyone were written, the world itself would not be able to contain all the books that would have to be written. Um, what I love about this verse is just how straightforward and plain it is. It just goes out and, and says it directly. You can't write down everything that Christ did, which involves his teachings, all down in one book. It's just not possible, and it even tells you the reason why, because you can't fit it all into one book. So if you use that little voice of reasoning, you, you, you can see that um, Solar Scripture doesn't work because of that. Because there's also many other things that Christ wanted us to know that simply couldn't fit into Scripture. And Protestants, the best rebuttal that they have is, so you're saying that Christ forgot to write certain things in the Bible. Uh, that's not what we're saying. Because Christ can never forget anything. It's just that Christ, you, since his words are infinite, they cannot fit into one book. And I mean, again, the verse even says it directly. The second verse that destroys Solish Kumshura that Protestants would often try to twist is Second Theologians 2, 14 to 15. Therefore, brothers, stand fast and hold to the traditions which you have learned, either by our word or our epistle. Um, if you, you know, that, that's telling you right there. To, the apostles taught things that were not written in Scripture. And back to support what you said, Luke, um, if you if you look in the first century, you can find the Catholic Church there. You can and you can't find Protestant churches until the 15th century when they all came from the Catholic Church. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll. No, all right. Let me go back to Luke. Uh, Luke, yeah, I, I would add I would add to what uh, to what Lewis said. Uh, John chapter one tells us that the Word of God is a person. 
It's not a book. Go ahead. Yeah, I think there's something else here. I mean, just looking at the apostles as people during this time. The 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 gospels and the epistles were written during a time of persecution. And so just in the structure of what is written, they get they were given the most sacred mysteries of the universe which they should protect. And in addition to that, it is during a time when if the Romans knew the authority of the church, they would try to cut off the head uh, immediately. And so they're always looking for the, you know, the heads of the church. If you, you see this in the, uh, in, in the history of, of the martyrdom of Catholics and all the different popes from the very beginning who were martyred. In addition, if Paul in his, in his epistles was trying to write you know, complete doctrines of faith, then he would be doing an absolutely lousy job. Paul often asked rhetorical questions when he says the cup of benediction that we bless is this not participation in the blood of Christ. Who's he, who's he writing to? Well, he's writing to people he spent with up to three years with. And while he was with them, he was establishing bishops, priests, and deacons. He was teaching them the sacraments. And this is obvious due to this rhetorical question. What is the answer to the rhetorical question from those who are baptized into this church living the sacramental faith? The answer to the rhetorical question is yes. It is the blood of Christ. Yeah. And so we, we, we look at these scriptures, and because Protestantism you know, came 1,500 years later, they have to believe in sola scriptura. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's completely illogical because there's just so many little uh, uh, blank spaces in, in these epistles where the only way you can you know, uh, rectify this is just to understand that Paul is talking to people who have already been given a basic understanding of the faith. You know, you hit the nail right on the head, and, uh, you know, uh, I've done with, with the former apostolate that um, that I belong to. It's still on – well, I, I, I founded it, uh, but it's been taken over by heretics, unfortunately. Um, but before I left it over the years, I did 20-something debates, and I did four debates on Sola Scriptura. And they're still they're still online uh, because I thought you're in a debate a Protestant always start with sola scriptura that is the foundation and really I think at this point Protestantism is splintered into so many directions so many different directions and and branches and sub branches and sub sub branches the only doctrine that they really agree on is sola scriptura. And I, and I think it's for exactly the reason you elucidated. They don't really believe it, but they have to make a pretense to believe it because if you don't believe in sola scriptura or you don't pretend that you believe in sola scriptura, there's no starting point for you to even believe in your belief system at all. You have, you, you have to break with the Catholic Church to even establish your belief system. Yes, yes. Consider this. With what I said, imaging that authority that was there, imaging James at the Council of Jerusalem, talking about the reestablished kingdom, imaging uh, Paul and Silas going out to the Bereans, being sent by the church, and then listen to Paul's words Obey your prelates who have the rule over you, for they watch over your souls. Well, Paul's not talking about prelates, bishops, overseers from SDA, from the Anglican Church, from the Pentecostal Church, from, from any of these churches. He can only be talking about prelates from the reestablished kingdom of David. 
from the one from the church he talks about when he says that uh, the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. From the church he talks about when he says that the manifold wisdom of God may be known to the principalities and powers in heavenly places through the church. From the church he talks about when he says you have come to Mount Zion, to the New Jerusalem, to the church of the firstborn, to thousands of angels, to the spirits of the just made perfect, to Jesus Christ, mediator of the new covenant. That's the mass, which includes a sprinkling of blood that speaks better than that of Abel. So obey your prelates. Let the priest who rules well be worthy of double honor. Uh, uh, is anyone sick among you? Call the priests of the church and he'll anoint you with oil. If you be in sin, your sins will be forgiven. All of this is in the context of the gospel of the reestablished kingdom of David. Well, I think the light comes on when you understand the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of the new. So the, the kingdom of David uh, in the Old Testament is not something that's there by accident. It's not something that just goes away. It provides the blueprint of what the church will look like. And the proof of that is we see that church fulfilled. We see that worship fulfilled in the book of Revelation where John goes into heaven and I asked my Protestant friends, I said, you know, that's one of the places where I started a discussion. Read the first eight chapters of the book of Revelation. Look at what worship looks like. Does it look like what happens in your church or does it look like what happens in my church? Because if there are no robes, if there are no altars, if there are no priests, if there is no incense, if there is not an altar with a sacrifice and candlesticks, uh, then it doesn't look like the worship that I see in the book of Revelation. So you know, they, they, they've completely changed the definition of what worship looks like, and this brings us full circle to something that we open the discussion with. This is why they can accuse us of worshiping Mary, because they don't understand what worship is. Yeah, and here's, and here's another one. To add to what I just said, Christ approaches Peter. You are Peter on this rock I will build my church. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Well, what are these keys? You go back to Isaiah. The king is going away. The supreme ambassador to the king, who is a father to the king's people, from which we get the word pope, is to have the authority symbolized by the keys by the keys of binding and loosing, which are keys of binding and loosening or authoritative interpretation of the Torah. And we see these keys in the process of dynastic succession centuries after David. So when Christ tells Peter, I give you the keys, at the same time, we have in the back of our minds James at the Council of Jerusalem saying the kingdom's been reestablished, then it is simply reason to understand that Christ would not be giving these keys to Peter unless the kingdom of God is being reestablished in the, in the church. And for emphasis, I would also add Luke chapter 10, verse 16, where Jesus says to the disciples, he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me, and he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Luke, he who hears you, not he who reads you. So this is, this is again, speaking to the the. the oral teaching authority that Jesus gave to the apostles. Yeah, and then to those same apostles, he gives uh, an image of what is to come when he says, I will be with you always, even to the consummation of the world. So he's talking to the church, just like when he talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon you. 
and will teach you all truth. Protestantism looks at these verses and they say, well, this applies to every individual. Well, if that were true, then everybody would have the same faith as the disciples of the apostles who lived the Catholic faith. They don't. So outside of the pillar and foundation of truth, the Holy Spirit is primarily a manifestation of God's love, not an affirmation of God's truth. And this is just a logic that people who are Protestants don't want to see. We go back to that word cognitive dissonance. Because you can't have a thousand different churches all saying they are the Bible-based church. <laughs> it doesn't work. Right. So the original church that God established is a sacramental church, the reestablished kingdom of David. And there's nowhere in scripture where it says man can create a different church of a different doctrine. So now, Luke, let's talk about the logical, the circular logical uh, problem that Sola Scriptura creates. It's basically, Sola Scriptura is the theological equivalent of a dog chasing his tail. <laughs> you ever seen a dog chasing his tail running around in circles? That's what Sola Scriptura is, because without the church to tell us what Scripture is, how can we trust scripture? If, if you're going to say the church told us, okay, these 27 New Testament books uh, are, are, are inspired and you're going to trust the church on that. Well, the same church that said there's 27 New Testament books were inspired said 46 Old Testament books were inspired. But now you're saying you're gonna you're gonna kind of play a la carte here and say, well, there's seven of those books that we don't particularly like, so we're gonna throw those out, based on a Jewish council of the first century. But then if you follow that Jewish council of the first century, you then gotta throw the 27 books out because of the New Testament, because they didn't accept those either. So it, it's kind of a circular firing squad here, isn't it? Scripture plus your interpretation is your interpretation. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's that simple. I mean, and again, you know, this is something that, you know, it's just because of this idea that people think that as, as soon as they accept Christ, they're giving this gift of the Holy Spirit by, by the Holy Spirit to interpret Scripture, and it's not biblical. It, it doesn't come close to being biblical. You know, when we, when we get back to the formation of the Bible, well, we could even look at the historical beginnings of how the New Testament was formed, and we see Catholicism all over it. The first one to tell us there was Gospels was Justin Martyr, and he did this in his first apology, and his first apology can be summed up as Satan created paganism to keep people from Catholic truth. He goes through the mass. He goes through uh, baptism as regeneration and how Satan mimicked it in, the, in, in pagan mysteries. He uh, talks about the gospel in relationship to the Eucharist, the first one to tell us there were four Gospels and give his list of epistles was Irenaeus. And Irenaeus says that uh, you have to belong to the church at Rome in order to keep the true faith. He talked about the Mass being a sacrifice. And he talked about Mary, you know, the true nature of, of Luke's Gospel, and Mary being the Ark of the Covenant and, and the true Eve, mother of all the living. So at the very foundation of how we understand what is the gospel and what is scripture is people defending the body of Catholic truth. And way before the Bible was put together, the entire body of Catholic truth was in the heart of the church. 
I want to throw something else at you, Luke. Um, Luke, you brought up Matthew chapter 16, and um, there's very something very uh, interesting that Jesus says to Peter that a lot of Protestants miss. When Peter proclaims, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, only Peter stepped forward and said that. The answer to the question, the question was, who do you say that I am? Only Peter answered. None of the others answered. And Jesus' answer to him was stark. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. So Jesus right here is talking about truths that will be revealed to the head of the church by direct revelation that that person is not going to be able to discern uh, or find through, quote, flesh and blood, close quote, which means through his own senses. Uh, and, and, And we see that. We see that in Scripture, things that we learn through the mind of the church um we don't we don't see so we can believe we believe so that we can then see we believe first and then over the years these things are revealed to us and the development of doctrine we see the things that are that have always been there but they've been there below the below the surface in layers of typology and allegory and you gave one example Seeing Mary yeah. as the Ark of the Covenant, it's not something that jumps out of the page. You you got to do a little bit of digging, a little bit of understanding, a little bit of connecting the dots. Uh, but the truth is certainly there if you are in fact uh, led by the Holy Spirit and obedient to the Holy Spirit. Uh, in line with the teaching of the Church, you know, which teaches the angels the manifold wisdom of God. And another interesting thing is when uh, 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 Jesus told Peter, the devil has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. So you, in the first sense, is plural. In the second, is singular. I have prayed for you, that when your faith is strengthened, you may strengthen your brethren. And so who are Peter's brethren? Well, Peter is to strengthen the apostles. But brethren, in an eternal sense, is the 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 head of the church strengthens all, all the uh, the royalty of the church, all the bishops underneath him. In addition to this, we see uh, a firsthand example in Scripture of how Peter did that. The Council of Jerusalem, uh, Protestants try to say that James ran this council. Well, James did what. Just about every uh, uh, bishop has done since, you know, the beginning of Christianity. He was a host bishop. And Peter came back from Rome to be at this council. And James did not have the vision that influenced the council. Peter did. Mm -hmm. Peter had this vision of seeing all the animals, uh, unclean animals, and you heard this voice saying that you could go ahead and, and eat. And uh, Peter, following the, the Levitical laws, says, no, this is unclean. And, and uh, so uh, the Holy Spirit says what God has sanctified did not call common. You know? Right. So Let me stop in, you right there. I, I want to okay. stop you right there. <laughs> I want to make an important breaking point right here because – First of all, this show was originally supposed to be Friday, and because I had some dental work, we had to push it to Monday. But Luke's normal normal time is going to be on Friday. This is such an important point that you're making here, Acts 15. I want to take yeah. this into the next show because I want to talk specifically about what goes on in the Council of Jerusalem and how it absolutely proves the authority of the church it's the first ecumenical council of the church. I want to show how it proves the authority of the church. And the people who went by the sola scriptura method in this particular case got it wrong. And this case right here, in fact, I use this in one of my debates on sola scriptura. I use this example. So I want to move this. 
to Friday. If you don't have any objections, I want to deal with this part of the story specifically. Is Would that be okay with you? Sure. Okay. And so with that, now that we're we're kind of up up against the uh, uh, the time here, we're going to table this until next Friday. So we're going to have a Sola Scriptura Part Two on Friday, same bat time, same bat channel. Luke, would you uh, close us with a uh, closing prayer? Why don't we do it with the Our Father, where we ask God for our super substantial bread, which we do at every mass. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Super show tonight. I can't wait till Friday to kick off the second half of this. Everyone, have a wonderful week. Thank you, Luke. And I'll see you on Friday. God bless. Okay, you too.